Confession time. How, how many of you have ever prayed for their pets? Okay. I think, uh, I think God uh, loves it when we even pray for our pets. Because they're important to us. And He knows that. Um, let, let's pray. Father, as uh, we uh, turn to your uh, word this morning, uh, Joshua chapter 9, I pray that we would be encouraged this morning, Lord, that you are a God who redeems, Lord, that you can turn a bad situation into good uh, for your glory, and that you can even uh, turn um, a rebellious uh, people in us, Lord, and provide a way that we might be reconciled to you, Lord, and, and winning through your son Jesus, Lord. And um, let us be encouraged by that this morning, Lord. We thank you, Lord, and we trust in your presence here. Amen. All right, so again, uh, chapter 9 of Joshua, we'll be finishing it up. Uh, last week we left off with uh, Joshua and his leaders uh, failing to seek counsel from the Lord. And uh, they, they were approached by some men who claimed to be from a distant country and wanted to make a covenant with Israel. Uh, Joshua even sampled some of their provisions uh, brought by the men. But again, as verse 14 says, they did not seek counsel from the Lord. And as it turned out, the men were uh, Gibeonites uh, who basically lived 25 miles away. That's uh, about from here to Burlington. Uh, and who were supposed to be devoted to destruction. Uh, they were, they were the, uh, part of the Canaanite peoples. Uh, and they were uh, supposed to be uh, just devoted uh, to destruction uh, for their consistent, ongoing uh, pagan practices. However, you know, based on just the evidence that was presented to him, Joshua believed the strangers and ended up making a covenant with them. And then we talked about the many reasons why we might not be willing to seek counsel from the Lord. Uh, you know, we think that prayer doesn't work, uh, that we, we don't have enough time, we're too busy. Uh, we proved that to be false with, uh, what was it, 14 seconds. Uh, sometimes we're not sure what to pray about. And uh, often we forget or we just plain all think that God can't help me. God's not capable of helping me or we don't need his help. And I'm sure there are you know, many other reasons why we, we uh, fail to seek counsel from the Lord, uh, but you get the idea. This morning, I'm going to talk about what motivated the Gibeonites uh, to deceive and how God redeems the situation. I'm going to read uh, verses 14 through 27 from the New Living Translation. Here it goes, starting with verse 14. So the Israelites examined their food, the Gibeonite food, but they did not consult the Lord. Then Joshua made a peace treaty or covenant with the Gibeonites and guaranteed their safety, and the leaders of the community ratified their agreement with a binding oath. Three days after making the treaty, they learned that these people actually lived nearby. 
The Israelites set out at once to investigate and reach their towns in three days. The names of these towns were Gibeon, Kephira, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. But the Israelites did not attack the towns, for the Israelites le- Israelite leaders made, had made a vow to them in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. The people of Israel grumbled against their leaders because of the treaty. But the leaders replied, Since we have sworn an oath in the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel, we cannot touch them. This is what we must do. We must let them live. For divine anger would would come upon us if we broke our oath. Let them live. So they made them woodcutters and water carriers for the entire community as the Israelite leaders directed. Joshua called together the Gibeonites and said, Why did you lie to us? Why did you say that you live in a distant land when you live right here among us? May you be cursed. From now on, you will always be servants who cut wood and carry water for the house of my God. They, the Gibeonites, replied, We did it because we, your servants, were clearly told that the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you this entire land and to destroy all the people living in it. So we fear greatly for our lives because of you. That is why we have done this. Now we are at your mercy. Do to us whatever you think is right. So Joshua did not allow the people of Israel to kill them. But that day he made the Gibeonites the woodcutters and water carriers for the community of Israel and for the altar of the Lord, wherever the Lord would choose to build it. And that is what they do to this day. Praise God for his word. So last week, I described the uh, Gibeonite deception as creative diplomacy, uh, but in reality, they flat out lied. Uh, they lied to Joshua and his leaders, and while we can't condone uh, the deception or lying of the Gibeonites here, you know, any more than we can condone Rahab's uh, lying when she lied about the spies, it, it's understandable why they did it. They didn't want to get wiped out. They didn't want to get uh, destroyed like the uh, people in Jericho and AI. And, and, you know, how can you fault them for that? Uh, And and despite the deception, you have to give the Gibeonites credit. Now, I I happen to take a more um, positive view of the Gibeonites here. Um, You have to give them credit for at least recognizing and fearing the God of Israel. You know, again, just like Rahab did. I mentioned last week that the, the Gibeonites seemed to have some inside knowledge uh, of how Joshua and the Israelites were to deal with the pagans in the land. You know, it seems as if they knew the Israelite game plan, you know, so to speak. And it made me think if um, you know, maybe Bill Belichick was a descendant of the Gibeonites. Um, Yes, I said that. Um, so the Gibeonites were aware of this ban, you know, that, that the people in Canaan were under God's judgment. They were devoted to destruction. And they were aware that the Israelites were forbidden to make covenants with people in Canaan. And they seemed also to be aware that Israel was allowed to make covenants with people outside the land. Not inside, but outside the land. So, but it's obvious to me that the Gibeonites are motivated by fear 
here. You know, twice they mention the power of the Lord, and, and three times they submissively call themselves servants. And uh, so, so they come to Joshua wanting to make a covenant with him because they fear the God of the Israelites. And, and we, we kind of cringe at the idea of, of people coming to God out of fear. It, it makes us uncomfortable or, or of using uh, fear to motivate uh, people to consider their standing before God. Uh, I, I was thinking about, uh, I've been to the Boston Garden a number of times. It's, um, it's TD Garden now, I believe. Uh, over the years, and, and you know, when you take the T, uh, the green line, uh, it gets off right across Causeway Street, and then you walk across the street, and you get on a little ways, and there's this this big area where the entrance to the garden is, and it seems like every time I've been there, there's this guy who has the 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 the, the sign on the front and on the back, a, a placard, I, I guess you would call it, a human billboard. And on the front and back of his signs are words like, hell is real, and judgment is coming, and the wages of sin is death, and repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And, you know, and on the one hand, I think to myself, well, you know, that, that guy kind of creeps me out. He makes me a little uncomfortable. You know, that's not the way to communicate the gospel. But, but then on the other hand, you know, everything he's saying is absolutely true. It's totally biblical. I mean, hell is real. Judgment is coming. And the wages of sin is death. You know, therefore, death, hell, and judgment are to be feared. Uh, we should be afraid of those things. And, and, but, you know, we, most Christians, uh, we don't like to talk about God's wrath and God's judgment. And uh, we, we sometimes, you know, mockingly call it fire and brimstone talk. Or, or that, that preacher uh, preached a hellfire sermon. You know, something like that. You know, we, we'd much pre prefer to talk about God's love and His mercy and, and His grace, His kindness, His long-suffering, you know, God's goodness. It's, it's understandable, but that's that's not what's motivating the Gibeonites here, uh, as far as we can tell. The fear of God's wrath is what's uh, motivating them. You know, probably not in an eternal sense, but definitely in an earthly sense. They don't want to get wiped out. And, and as for us, you know, we seem to have some misconceptions uh, about God's wrath. You know, one misconception is, is that God's wrath is cruel. Uh, we, we, we tend to associate God's wrath with, with human anger. You know, which of course is, is often arbitrary, uh, often mean, and often cruel. Human anger. But the truth is that God's wrath is always the wrath of God as judge. And, and a perfect, perfectly holy and righteous judge. And, and, and God's wrath is always measured. You know, it's always just. 
and, and it's judicial. In other words, it, it's based on law. It's based on known laws, not random, arbitrary laws. And that, that's what his uh, wrath is like. And, and, and by the way, God as judge, you know, capital J judge, is the, is the exact same God who is also the God of love, mercy, and, and grace, kindness, and long-suffering. He doesn't just cast those characteristics and those traits aside when he becomes judge. Those, those traits remain uh, completely and wholly within his character. Another misconception is that God inflicts his wrath upon ignorant or uh, uninformed innocent people. Uh, Romans 1 speaks to this, uh, starting in verse 18. It speaks of the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness, godlessness, and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, He's his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, their foolish hearts were darkened, and although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. So far from being ignorant and innocent, people knowingly, deliberately suppress the truth about God. Truth that God has, has made uh, very plain. You know, even God's qualities, it says, His eternal power, His divine nature can be clearly seen through God's creation. You just step out the door and, and God has revealed Himself. Therefore, people are without excuse it says. No one is actually, in reality, uh, innocent or ignorant of these things. All have willfully rejected God, suppressed the truth, and have earned God's wrath. Now, I'm not suggesting here that the Gibeonites had any clue about any of this stuff, uh, about God and their relationship with Him. Uh, all they knew at this point was that to oppose God meant annihilation. We oppose God, we die. That's what they knew. That was their starting point. Now, one commentator wrote that the, the Gibeonites' confession demonstrates a right theology in the making. It's kind of like the birth of their right theology. I mean, uh, Proverbs 1 7 says, fear of, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We're very familiar with that. So while while the other kings in the region were, were forming alliances and coalitions against Israel and their God, the Gibeonites were trying to save their own skins by submitting, you know, even in a, a backward way, to the God of Israel. So sometimes maybe uh, fear and wrath is is a good starting point. Or at least you know, we shouldn't sugarcoat it. We, we shouldn't ignore the reality of God's wrath and judgment 
you know, when we're sharing the gospel. And, and that's why it's so important to be uh, prayerful and in touch with the Spirit and, and how we are to communicate to uh, individuals. So the, the Gibeonites feared the Lord. All right, well, what was this fear a guarantee of their salvation? You know, I, and we don't know. We don't know for sure. Yet, it's this fear of the Lord that moved them into action. Uh, in many ways, the story is uh, similar uh, to Rahab, who we mentioned before. You know, like Rahab, the, the Gibeonites were moved into action because they came to the realization that Yahweh, the Lord, and again, that's the covenant name that both um, Rahab and the Gibeonites use, um, the Lord God of Israel were truly worthy of fear. Yet, ultimately, you know, through this encounter, uh, they were introduced to the God of grace and the God of mercy. So both Rahab and the Gibeonites are accepted by Israel, even if under you know, these uh, dubious circumstances, uh, their, their acceptance, uh, Gibeonite's acceptance did cost them, though. You know, they did deceive Joseph, after all, and they, and they put him in a, a pretty precarious spot. As uh, So as verse 27 says, you know, that day he, Joshua, made the Gibeonites the woodcutter and the water carriers for the community of Israel and for the altar of the Lord. We, we can't overlook that, and we're going to talk about that in a minute wherever the Lord would choose to build it. Now, in, in their day, being woodcutters and water carriers was basically a small step up from slavery. It's pretty lowly and menial service, and, and it was hard and physical work. But, but two things uh, could be said about that. One, you know, a life of cutting wood and carrying water is, oh, I don't know, better than dead. Okay, so that's, that's one thing. The other thing is uh, notice for what and for whom they would be cutting wood and carrying the water. The altar of the Lord. They would actually be in the service of the Lord at His dwelling place. Near, near even His presence on a continual basis. And historically, you know, first the tabernacle and then the temple, um, they would be right at the center of Israel's worship. So whereas before they were outside of the covenant, now they're brought in uh, to God uh, within the covenant, you know, all by God's grace. You know, in God's mercy and grace, He sovereignly uses a blunder Basically, a stupid mistake by Joseph and his leaders and the deceitfulness of a pagan people who should have been destroyed, a people who do fear him, by the way. And, and he ends up preserving Joseph's integrity, he ends up bringing a bunch of pagans into the covenant community, and he brings himself glory in the process. That's our God. What, one thing we need to always remember is that the Israelites weren't chosen as God's people and they weren't promised the land because they were any better or any more righteous 
than the Canaanites. Uh, Moses reminds the people of this uh, in Deuteronomy 9 before they cross the Jordan. So he says, not because of your righteousness or the uprightness, uprightness of your heart are you going to possess the land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you, and that they may confirm the word. Uh, so that God will be able to keep His promise that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. It's not because of anything anything special about the Israelites that they were chosen to go into the land. And neither do we deserve to receive forgiveness and acceptance as part of God's people. In all these cases, it's not due to us. It's due to God and His mercy and His grace and His love. And because of the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on our behalf, His punishment in our place is nothing that we have done. So the question I have for you is, have you come to terms with this God of Israel. And if not, if you haven't come to terms with this God of Israel, what are you waiting for? I've said this many times in the past. Today is the day of salvation. There, there are some who hear the message of the gospel and choose to walk away from it, you know, assuming, you know, this doesn't relate to me, this isn't my thing, um, I can do that later on in life. Um, if this is you, uh, let me remind you again of the example of the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites' response of fear before God in this case was very appropriate. I mean, again, we don't like to hear it expressed this way. But, but the writer of Hebrews was right when he said, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of God. A fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And the truth is that the Gibeonites were not worthy of the grace of God. Neither was Rahab. And in the same way, the Israelites weren't worthy to be called the people of God or to inherit the land. And of course, neither are we worthy. Neither do we uh, deserve forgiveness and grace. It is only through Christ uh, are we worthy. And it, it's God's unconditional love you know, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that makes it possible uh, for a prostitute like Rahab, uh, a bunch of deceivers like the Gibeonites, and Gentiles like you and me uh, to come into a relationship with Him. You know, I don't know, maybe, maybe you think you've blown it too many times. You know, uh, Joshua... Uh, has blown it twice now in the first few chapters. And maybe you think there's there's no hope for you because you've, you've just pushed God too far. Uh, you're beyond forgiveness. And, and somehow, you know, God couldn't possibly love you or, or forgive you. And again, I, I would suggest that if those uh, voices are in your head, you know, that's, that's Satan. Speaking to you, and Satan is the ultimate uh, deceiver, uh, far more deceptive than the Gibeonites. 
Because Satan would like nothing more than to drive a wedge between you and the Lord. Satan wants you to believe that you're unforgivable. He wants you to believe you're unlovable, unredeemable, worthless. You know, but, but again, uh, we can be encouraged by looking at the Gideonites. You know, the, the Scripture doesn't give us a list of all these you know, great and redeemable traits that the Gideonites had that um, convinced God to bring them into his people. I mean, they were pagans. They were deceivers. They were um, set for destruction. Uh, who, as we, we said, their iniquity uh, has finally come due, so to speak, um, after centuries of rebellion against God. But that that's the amazing beauty of the whole thing. God isn't waiting for us somehow to get us get it all together, you know, before we come to Him. He calls us just as we are. Not waiting for us to figure it all out. The Gibeonites, after their deception, they were cursed by Joshua, but they were cursed to serve in the house of the Lord as, as woodcutters and drawers of water. Yet when you look at their response, they seem to be completely fine with it. They seem to be pretty okay with it. They're like, seriously? You know, that, that's cool. We can do that. It's better than dead. And uh, we get to um, and do whatever you think is right. So it was better to be servants to the house of God than to be destroyed outside of it. You know, in fact, check this out because it's really cool. So hundreds of years later, hundreds of years later, when Israel returns to Jerusalem from captivity, the Gibeonites are a part of the people who return and help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem with Nehemiah. I mean, we read about that in Ezra. So the Gideonites, of all people, a part of that remnant that comes back and helps rebuild the wall. They, uh, the Gibeonites seem to live out the, the meaning of this psalm. Psalm 8410 is very familiar to us. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. So it's better to be woodcutters and water carriers in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. You know, there's also there's no record in Scripture of the Gibeonites ever causing any trouble to the Jews. They seem to be pretty content. So somehow, you know, we need to wrap our brains around just how good, just how amazing, just how you know, um, mind-boggling this is uh, to be in a relationship with God, the creator of the universe. It's just amazing, regardless of what our lot in his kingdom is uh, at this time. We just need to, I don't know, just come to terms with that, how, how great it is to be in relationship with God. And I know, I know that some of you right now aren't very happy with your lot in life right now. 
Get it. But as as we enter this gift giving season, you know what many people don't know, what many people don't realize or, or even care about, is that Jesus gave us the most amazing gift, the most incredible gift. And that gift is the opportunity to spend eternity with God. If we trust in Him. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, fire and brimstone, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God became a human being in the, in the person of Jesus Christ to take our sin, to be killed, and then be raised again, you know, proving His victory over sin and death. Therefore, Romans 8.1 says, there is now no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we receive this gift, if we have become, we've become acceptable to God, then we can have a relationship with Him. I mean, critics have suggested that the Gibeonites, their, their so-called declaration of faith, you know, wasn't nearly as strong as Rahab's. Uh, the Gibeonites aren't mentioned in the Hall of Faith. Hebrews 11, like Rahab. But the, the, the circumstantial evidence, the, the peripheral evidence, you know, shows that they were very much a part of the covenant community of Israel. They willingly submitted to Joshua's you know, so-called curse. They never caused Israel any problems. And it's very likely, and uh, it, it, it's not a stretch, very likely that their service in the tabernacle and then in the temple, you know, influenced them to just turn from their pagan practices and worship the God of Israel. I mean, how could it not? How could it not? Being so near the presence of the Lord all the time. I don't think it's a, a stretch at all. And then, you know, being among the remnant to return to Jerusalem from exile to help rebuild the city also suggests you know, that they were devoted to God. They were devoted to His house. So it's not bad for a group of people who are initially you know, drawn to God through fear, you know, through fire and brimstone. Amen? Amen. Amen.